highest of heights to the depths of the And notice what it says, Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. See, God is a God of grace. We know that he is. He's wonderful to those who love him. But to those who are obstinate and unwilling to yield to him, and even to their dying breath, they're shaking their fist at God, and they finally pass on, that person has got the most horrible existence yet coming in their life. For eternity. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. David relished the place of victory he had in the Lord. He wasn't hesitant to proclaim it, either out of false humility or out of uncertainty of possessing the victory. He knew that enemies might rise again, but he looked back at the field of battle and said, They have fallen under my feet, and when they were under my feet, I trod them like dirt in the street. David didn't only have to battle with problems from enemies, but in the midst of the battle, he had to endure the contention of his own people. But God sustained him through that also. We as believers should know we are safe in the Lord's hands. Now here's Pastor Rob. With killing uh, her husband. And so David, fresh from uh, getting into the kingdom and God making him these great promises, he was on cloud nine. And it would be very easy for him to say this, but let me suggest to you, that even if David had committed, and he did, even after the thing with Bathsheba and killing Uriah and all of that, David could still say the same thing. And why? Because he repented. He confessed. He repented. And God forgave him. He is justified, just as if he didn't do it. That is amazing grace, folks. When you can have such a relationship with God, See, it's easy when you're doing well and to to claim all these wonderful, lofty things about God, but what about after you've really failed and you've confessed and you've you've turned from that sin? Can you still have that same heart of, of boasting in God like you did before? I think you can. And I think it's something that, I think it's going to take growth in me and perhaps you to be able to really blow it and then at the same time go, God, I am... I'm blameless in your sight. After, of course, you have confessed it as sin and that you've asked God to forgive you. And what's the promise? He tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. And when we do that, he chooses to forget it. It's, he, casts, he says, for all, you have cast all my sins behind your back, it says in Isaiah. And I will not remember your sins, God says in Isaiah 43, 25. In Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from us. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. 
In Micah 7.19, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins in the depths of the sea. God has a perfect memory. He can forget your sin, and it's as if it never happened when you put it under the blood of Christ. And then you can walk and say, Lord, only by your grace am I blameless in your sight. And he could say, yes, you are. You are blameless in my sight. Because that's the power of the blood of Christ, you see. That's the power of the blood of Christ. It's important to know that because we and the devil like to beat us over the head by things that we've done wrong and continue to beat us. And we like to beat ourselves too for several days after we've really blown it. It somehow makes us feel better. But you know what? The more we can grapple grapple the idea of all I need to do, God, is of course you mourn over your sin, especially if it's something that you're, you're tired of and you've stepped on, you know, you've done this thing again. Just go before him and confess it. And say, Lord, I am so sorry. I come into agreement with you. It is sin. Forgive me, Lord. And give me the gift of repentance to never go back on it again. And I tell you what, when you do that, you can walk away from that as if it had never happened. But your own heart and the devil will never let you forget it so easily. But you can walk away from that and trust what the Scripture says. It's, it takes a, that's a big deal. I think that takes um, a lot of grace, but it's possible. Notice verse 26. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. And the Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. And the word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all those who trust in him. Psalm 84 says, The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give mercy or grace and glory. And no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Be a person who trusts in God and be blessed. Be truly happy. It even goes beyond externals. For who is God except the Lord? And who is our rock except our God? God is my strength and my power. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he sets me on high places. You know, uh, there's a particular type of animal in Israel and they're very well known and they're very... uh, uh, prolific in the area of En Gedi, which is right there on the eastern or western shore of the Dead Sea. In En Gedi, there's the animals called the ibex, and they look like deer, but they've got these two horns that go like go back like this. And it reminds me, as I read this, he makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. And i got to be honest with you, i got pictures of these things in Engedi where these things will be up on a cliff and they're standing on the side of a cliff. And, and you're wondering, how did they get up there? And they're up there and they're kind of looking around. They're, they're, there's like a little patch of weeds lodged in the, in the side of the cliff there and they're hanging on the side and there's like 100 feet, you know, it's like ridiculous. You know, there's no carabiner, there's no, you know, and they're just chewing up, pulling the stuff out, and they're eating it, and they're looking down, and, you know, and the slobber's going on, and they're just doing their thing. And they walk, and they, you know, they stumble around, and they're walking, and these play, it's crazy. How did they do that? And God says, I can make you do that. 
I want you to walk on my high places. In Christ, you can walk on those high places. Blessed are the feet of the gospel sower. Beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. You can ride on high places. You're going to be like that ibex. Love that. Notice in verse 35, He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. And you have also, and as we look at verse 36 through 46, this again was not only true of David, but also of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a prophetic passage here. It says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. I love that. Your gentleness has made me great. Oh, gentleness is such a wonderful word. May the Lord grow us in that. It's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, uh, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Your gentleness has made me great. Lord, have more of that in our life. Notice, you enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. Again, I think of that ibex who's precarious, and you're thinking any minute I'm seeing this animal fall several, you know, like 100 feet down into a gorge, and I've never seen one. Those guys are like super glue. I have no idea what they got. That's like Spider-Man, Spidey sense thing happening. I don't know. They just confound all the tourists. Everyone's taking pictures. How did that happen? That's crazy. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies, destroyed them, and neither did I turn back again until they were all destroyed. Even though this is speaking of David, it's also speaking of Jesus, especially at the end, which we will get to hopefully. Wow, I can't believe the time. And, they, and he says, And I have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. And they looked, but there was none to save them. Even to the Lord they looked, but he would not answer them. I pity the fool. <laughs> Did you know Mr. T? I, I believe he got saved. Anybody know Mr. T? Remember the A-Team? The show, the A-Team? I pity the fool. Remember that? He's an African-American man. I love that guy. He's a, he's a believer. He's a believer now. The guy's on fire for Christ. Love that. I don't know how I got on that, but uh, um, it's pretty interesting. I pity the man who doesn't, who goes against the Lord. You're going to be beat. You're going to be beat. And notice what it says, Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. See, God is a God of grace. We know that he is. He's wonderful to those who love him. But to those who are obstinate and unwilling to yield to him, and even to their dying breath, they're shaking their fist at God, and they finally pass on, that person has got the most horrible existence yet coming in their life. For eternity. But that's not God's fault. That's their fault. God wants everyone to come to to a saving faith. He's a God of grace, but he's also a God of war and a God of vengeance. We don't talk about that that much. But in Exodus, it says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Look at Psalm 2, and it talks about how God is going to vex them at one, one time in the future. When he comes back to the earth and his second coming, he's going to vex them in his sore displeasure. He's going to consume them in an instant, and that's who God is. He's a, a, a Lord that's plenty of love and plenty of grace, but let me tell you, you don't want to be on the business end. You don't want to be on the other end of God. 
If you haven't received Christ, and, and you know, I'm speaking to all of you here, but I know this message goes out over the radio, and many more people are going to hear it, and somebody out there needs to hear that. They need to hear that. You need to turn from your sin today and stop playing games with God. He loves you. Make no, make, no, make no mistake. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. His love for you is actually very fierce. But when you stick your finger in his chest and you say, I will not have this man rule over me, and if you continue like that and you pass away, there is nothing left but judgment for you. In Daniel's uh, prophecy, it speaks of Jesus coming back to the earth, and it's in Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. Let me read it to you. And he's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he had of this statue, and really this statue, the different layers of this statue, and I won't go into it right now, but each one of them uh, spoke of the, the different world um, empires that would come on the scene all the way to the very end before Christ would come back. And Daniel, through the Spirit of God, defines each one of those before they happened to Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Amazing. And, and da- Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, you watched while a stone, and, and so the statue is, you know, he's, he sees the statue in his dream, and, and Daniel says, you're the head of gold. And then he defines all these other kingdoms, and then finally at the very end of time, down at the iron, where the iron is mixed in clay and, and the feet are made of clay and, and bronze, Mixed together. He says, You watched, Nebuchadnezzar, and a stone that was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, they were crushed together, became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the, the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Who is that rock from heaven? that's going to smite the nations ultimately and come back and put an end to all of the Gentile nations. Who is it? It's Jesus. When he comes back in his second coming, that's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to put an end to Gentile government once and for all for good. Period. Exclamation point. In Revelation, you can read it for yourself. Make a note of this and go read it for yourself. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 21. At the end of the great tribulation and at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, when, when he comes down, and actually uh, 19, um, 19 verse 11 uh, on through the rest of uh, Revelation 19 and into, into 20. Actually, you know what? I think I, I may have misquoted that. It's actually uh, Revelation 19 verses 11 through 21. Excuse me. But it's at the end. When that rock without hands, this mountain is going to come and he's going to strike the foot of that image, which is going to be the final empire on the earth, which is yet, by the way, future to us, of course, and it's going to be a revived Roman Empire. We may not call it the revived Roman Empire, it's just going to be a government, but it's coming. It's already forming, it's already before us, and it's going to have its fruition. It's coming, it's coming, it's building, and then God Jesus, when he comes back and he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, he's going to crush it. And it's all going to come tumbling down like the walls of Jericho. 
Notice verse 44, you have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations. You better believe it. David was not only the head of the nations at that time, and Jesus is going to be the head of the nations when he comes back. A people that I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. Yes, they did that during David's reign, but he's also speaking of Jesus because what does it tell us in Zechariah chapter 14? And Zechariah, believe it or not, you know what's crazy? There's more about the millennium in the Old Testament than in the book of Revelation. There is. There's chapters on it. Ezekiel 40 through the end of the book is all about the millennial reign. Zechariah, a lot about the millennial reign. And Isaiah, a lot about the, uh, you know, the millennial reign. What does it give us in, in Revelation? About five verses. <laughs> Zechariah says this. He says, It shall come to pass that everyone who has left, and again, this is speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. When it begins, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, because we know that that's coming before Christ comes back, they shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whatever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt that will not come up and enter in, they will have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to the keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that shall not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes, a feast of ta- a Jewish feast in the millennial reign of Christ. And it gets even crazier because notice what it says. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord houses shall also be like the bulls before the altar. And yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. And everyone who sacrifices, what? There's going to be sacrifices in the millennial reign? I thought Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. Yeah, he was. But they're still going to have sacrifices. They're going to be for memorial purposes. It's not going to be because they need to be done. But they're still going to have the feast days to remember. And all those feast days all point back in one way or another to who? To who? Jesus, right? All those feasts are all about him. And everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall be no longer to be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of the hosts. You can also read Ezekiel 46. And it talks about that time during the millennial reign of Christ and the feasts that are going to happen, the, the lambs that will still be slaughtered on the altar in, a new, or in, the, uh, uh, in the rebuilt temple in, uh, uh, in, in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel talks about the... Everything about this new temple that's going to be built when Jesus comes to the earth for a thousand years. He, he gives specific dimensions. It's recorded for us in Ezekiel 40 through 47. You can read it yourself. It's all there. That temple has never been built before because it's yet coming. And it's not the one that the Antichrist is going to be building. The man of sin after the church is removed. It's not that one, but it's the one afterwards. So notice, we'll finally end this psalm. Thank you for your patience. Notice what he says. He ends the psalm, or ends this passage, which is really the psalm. 
of 18. He says, The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. He is the rock of your salvation. He's the most solid thing you've got. And I love that because there's nothing more solid in my life than him. There's nothing in my life that's more solid than him. I can rest in him. Can you, have, you, have you learned to rest in him? Rest in him. Rest in him. Rest in it. And it is God who avenges me, David says, and he subdues the people under me, and, and he delivers me from my enemies, and you also lift me up because above those who rise against me. And you have delivered me, God, from the violent man, and therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his Messiah. Yes, you heard that right. The word says anointed, but in Hebrew it's Messiah. And shows mercy to his Messiah, to David and his descendants forevermore. I love that. I love that. Overall, this... This psalm speaks of God's deliverance, of his omnipotence over all of creation. And again, I like to get carried away with that. I like to really think about that. Especially when, if you're the type of person who feels like things are out of control, and you look around and things are definitely out of control, where do you go when you are feeling unhinged, when you're watching too much news and it's starting to frazzle you? Where do you go? You go here. You go to the Word of God, and it's the foundation that cannot be shaken. You can rest in His foundation. And I don't know about you, but it really does. It renews me. The more I read the, the Word of God, it renews me, and it gives me a great confidence, not in myself, but in Him. And I know that the Lord wants us all to have that confidence. Not a confidence in anything we've done, you understand. It's a confidence in how great he is and what he is able to do, and I just trust in him. And Lord, help me to trust you more. I'm always being tested. <laughs> you being tested? And don't be discouraged when, you've, when you're tested and you fail. God is not angry with you. He already knew you were going to fail. In fact, sometimes he allows those things to bring us into an understanding, and then what do we do? We, we crawl up in his lap again and we cry our eyes out. We say, God, forgive me. I thought I was stronger than that, and I really don't have a clue of who I really am. I don't even know. And we certainly need to be crying out to him, praying that God would help us in our country and the mess that it's in. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this psalm and we thank you for the encouragement, Lord, the exhortation that we receive from David through the Spirit of God. And Lord, help us, Lord. Lord, just to remember your greatness. Lord, to be in your word often. Lord, to be trusting you more than we do. Lord, to be reading for ourselves and not reading for others. Lord, to always be seeing how, how does this apply to my life today? How is it going to apply, to apply to my life this week? Lord, help us. Open our eyes. Open our ears. And Lord, protect us in this world that we live in. Lord, protect us from deception. Protect us from the temptations that we all have. Lord, we all have temptations. Protect us, Lord, and help us today. Help us tomorrow. Be glorified in your church, in all of us. In Jesus' name we pray.
That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.